Let's read uh, God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have an electronic copy, and we're going to start in John chapter 7. The very last verse of John chapter 7, verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews uh, said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just as what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that. He had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I am nothing on my own then I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he said, and he was saying these things, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. All right. Good morning, Jesus. They're real statements, not made up statements. And ultimately, these statements are saying something about Jesus and pointing that he is God, he is the true God. Uh, This morning we're going to be parking uh, around these verses that Nathan just read to us from uh, chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. So let me pray for us as we dive into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. We thank you they are true. We ask that you will continue to speak to us that you've already been speaking to us this morning. You drown out any noise that's going on in our hearts and our heads and that we will walk away knowing you more. 
for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, I've kind of separated the, the, the chapter into two parts. First, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 20, and we're looking at this idea of Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, and secondly, we're going to look at verses 21 to 30 and look at this idea that if Jesus is the light of the world, if that is true, then Jesus is the life-giving light and how that applies to your life on Monday to Saturday. So, 12 to 20. This idea of Jesus being the light of the world. Now, apparently, I have never been there. According to our wonderful world of Google, it tells me that the largest light bulb that exists can be found at the Thomas Edison Alva Memorial in the USA. It's apparently where Thomas Edison perfected the first commercial incandescent light. Sparkies, did I get that right? No, everyone's just shaking their head. Yes, okay. You can tell why I became a pastor. Um, the idea of this light is that this light actually is its 13 feet tall. It's a light bulb. It's huge. It's massive. Now, when we think about light, automatically our brains go to a few things, right? We can switch on the light and it comes on. Uh, if you're really fancy, you might have one of those clap versions at your home. I was thinking about lights and I loved back in the 90s when we came to Australia, we discovered the touch lamp. Do you have one of those still? has nothing to do with the sermon, but I was reflecting on it while I was thinking about it. See, back in those days, there was no things of electricity that we know. Uh, but there was this idea of a lamp. It was a lamp that lit the home. Now, when we look at this, we need to ask, is that what Jesus is really getting at? Is he simply saying, hey guys, you know that lamp you have at home, I'm literally a really amped up version of that. Uh, when, you, when you read this, uh, is he really simply saying, hey, I'm the brightest of lights that you've ever seen? Friends, we need to understand this story that John wrote is actually part of a bigger and wonderful, glorious story that is the story of God. It is a true account. And to understand the statement, we kind of need to rewind back to the beginning of time, how we got to where we are. There's going to be some verses up here on the screen to give you an idea of where we're going. We need to understand that this idea of light began in the very first book of the Bible. The first words that the creator of the universe speaks is this, and you can read it in Genesis 1, verses 3 to 5. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Out of nothing, out of darkness, God proclaims, let there be light. And there's light, it happens. And he separates it, there's day and night. And he uses the moon and the sun to show light, to illuminate in some sense his work, his creative hand. But it's not long before, a few chapters, the first humans turn around and rather than trusting in the living word, the word that's spoken who brought life into being, they listen to another word, to another voice. This voice is actually described uh, in, uh, by a guy called the Apostle Paul who talks about Satan, this enemy, this evil one who deceives and tempts the first humans. In Ephesians 5, you can read about him being the ruler of darkness. And they listen to this voice. They listen to this word in a sense and it invites this greater sin, this greater death and it now absolutely destroys everything. It brings sin, it brings death and it's like a poison that invades into everything that we see and we can turn on the week, this week on the news, you've seen that the realities of that. 
in Syria and terrorist attacks and deaths and, and people's behavior and everything, it's very clear to see that it's poison that has infected everything. But see, the God of the universe is not some distant God. He's personally involved in the lives of people and he steps in to this darkness and he pursues. And he actually says, despite of your actions, I'm going to send someone, this promised one. He will come. And throughout the story of the Bible, that's that constant picture of God and in, in, in coming into relationship of a group of people who keep on saying, no, we want to do this our way. And there's this constant reminder, God's alluding to someone who's going to come. This language of light is constantly throughout the Bible story. You can read it about it all the way from Genesis onwards. This idea of light meant a few things. Firstly, in Old Testament in particular, the very first book of uh, first section of the Bible, the Old Testament, you have this idea that the light is God's presence. It's his favor, his rescue. For example, you can read it in Psalm 27:1. It says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?" The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then there's this idea that comes again about God's presence and his, his involvement and his interaction and his, his plan. And there's this prophetic word that comes in books like Isaiah. Where it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. This idea of light is constantly throughout the Bible. Then it continues this, uh, what does light mean in this whole Bible term. It also shows about God's plan and His goodness and His rescue. There's this idea where God says, I want to be the light, I will show you the light. Then He also raises up a group of people who are meant to be His light, His representation. You can read it in places like Isaiah 42, 6. is a both a word, but he says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. He's talking about this idea. But by the time, part of this whole story of light goes throughout the Bible, and then there was this other further light that was connected to this powerful story, and that story is what we have, what we call the Old Testament. The law, the Torah. It was this idea that this Word that God had given, he'd spoken, he'd given to Moses. And then these, this word and this light was supposed to be something they formed their lives around. And you can have read passages like Psalm 119 verse 5 that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So by the time that Jesus is interacting with these teachers, these Pharisees and leaders constantly in this time here on this earth, they saw that this idea of light is but they had the idea of them being the nation as a light that should stand, but it was kind of dulled out, and they thought that their law, their Torah, this is thing that they kept, would be their light, because it was God's living word. It was something they took very seriously. Their lives were totally determined by everything that was written and commanded to do. And then you have these powerful words that happen in the very first chapter in the Gospel of John. John writes in John chapter 1, starting in verse 4, In him, this is talking about Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it continues in verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gave light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The people of Israel are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for a rescuer to arrive. They've been hoping this rescuer would save them from the Roman Empire. And the religious leaders by that time were also looking to this idea of living their standards and their rules and regulations that were set by the Torah. They were not trying to be annoying. They thought that in doing so, they were doing exactly what God commanded them to do. But they also thought in some sense there was this approval, there was sufficient And in the life of Jesus, while he was here on this earth, there was this constant thing that he's constantly butting heads with the religious leaders of the time. And here, the author of John says, Jesus, this I am, is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And then you have these words coming out of Jesus' mouth to these Pharisees and leaders and others who are listening in. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this whole story is also once again in the background of something else that's going on. So the Jewish people, their whole life and their whole calendar was connected to a lot, a bunch of festivals. It was a reminder of God's relationship with them. And one of the festivals that was going on in the background, coming up to where Jesus says this, is a festival called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacle. It was a wonderful seven-day celebration. They would set up these kind of makeshift tents or booths or tabernacles. They would have palm trees. They'd be singing. Part of their singing, they included a psalm from Psalm 118. talked about, save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes and saves us in the name of the Lord. It was also known as the priests, the Levites of that time. They would actually, part of the festival, would uh, light up this thing called a menorah, which is like these massive, huge candlesticks. And they'd light it up, and they'll go to the, towards the temple, and they would have this massive dance party. They'd be dancing around with these lights, singing. John and I, Nathan, will do that next week for you. If you won't, that'll be scary. Um, <laughs> someone say, oh, uh, now, at the heart of this is this, these ideas of these festival and booths particularly was to remind the people that they belong to a God. And this God was involved in their lives. This God is the one who saved them from slavery. And particularly this festival was a reminder that God was with them. He led them in a pillar of cloud and light. And here we have Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. One commentator says that as the Pharisees listen to this, there might be the possibility that part of the celebration they would have sung a song. And that song is, The Lord is my light and salvation. And they hear these words from Jesus. It's like saying, Jesus, uh, did, you, did I just hear you right? What, what are you just saying here? We've been celebrating over this last seven days. We've been reminded of the seven-day festival that we belong to Yahweh, we belong to God, we have a covenant with Him. It's a reminder that these lights and these lamps that we light up is that God is our salvation, He is our light. But then also, He's given us a physical uh, idea of that in the Torah, that these commandments and things that we have to follow. And here you are, Jesus, making this absolute statement saying, I am the light of the world. 
It's almost like Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, not these rituals and things that you are doing. And this wonderful truth is given to us in that just as a light, you're meant to follow a light. And you follow this light. And there's a consequence of what happens when you follow. When you follow this light, Jesus says, out of the rescue, you will be rescued from darkness. The darkness that I talked about, about sin, invading and poisoning everything that we have in this life. And then you're given life, eternal life. But not only that, you're given someone, you're given him. And this is also wonderful truth. But you will have the light of life. It's language of security. It's not about just, you need to keep doing all these rituals now to stay in favor with God. No, once you have Jesus, you have him. You have this light of life. See, friends, I don't know what you think about Jesus, but Jesus is not just some ticket to heaven. He's not just a ticket to heaven that you receive. And he's not just some sort of best mate, some God, a religious... Uh, he's not, he is God, but he's not just a religious teacher or someone out there. He's, he's not just your best mate. He is God. He is life itself. And the whole point of this light, even that time of the Old Testament and so on, was to point to someone. And Jesus is now saying, I am the light of the world. It's like him saying, hey, those points of those stories that you've heard, those promises that you've heard of a Messiah, those festivals and laws that you're talking about. They're pointing to a lie. They're pointing to someone. These commands that have been given to you are now being fulfilled in Him. He is the one. He is the source of life itself. And that means He is the light, not just to a group of people, but He's the light to the world. He brings life. And he's saying to them, even in this very simple statement, but powerful statement, he's saying in following him, now you move from one state of being in darkness and you've been brought out of that darkness into light. And not only that, you are in him, you are secure 100%. This means that if you don't know Jesus, you might be exploring the Christian faith. You and I are prone to just make life about us. I don't know if you've heard a term called the selfie. It's a wonderful display that we revolve our lives about ourselves. I've done this. I don't know if you've done it. Standing next to a wonderful, beautiful beach. I want to take a photo of the beach and I put my ugly face in front of it. All of creation's behind me, but I want everyone to see my face my new haircut. See, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we are desiring and wanting to be light. But at the end of the day, we may try to be light in different ways. We want to be light by being good. We want to be light by meditating and thinking on oneself. We want to be kind. We want to donate. We might even recycle. If you have Facebook, you might be one of those people who sees that share if you like to be liked. And at the heart of all of these things is to say, hey, I want to be light, but actually, ultimately, that light is really pointing to yourself. It's not pointing to the one who said, I am the light of the world. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, you and I still fall into this trap, don't we? I do. 
see what Jesus is doing in this moment is to remind us that even in saying, I am the life, it's actually life is not about you and not about me. And I think we ourselves, for those of us who are in the Christian faith, can fall in the trap of being like the Pharisees. We can actually make life, even the Christian faith, ultimately about us. The Pharisees looked at the Lords and commands and those things, and they ultimately made it about them. How many times have you read the Bible or looked at it and said, oh, it's just about me, it's for me? I get it that God's speaking, but ultimately the aim of the Bible, the aim of all the scripture is to point to the I am, the great I am, the ultimate I am, the true light. So this means that if you uh, call yourself a follower of Jesus, then he is now calling you to follow him as he is the light. And when we do, this is wonderful promise and truth that's given to us. Like I said, that we're no longer in darkness, that we've been now placed into light and we're with him. There's this intertwining language that's going on. It's a language of security, affirmation. And you know what? That is a great encouragement if you've had a really terrible week and you're a follower of Jesus. This is wonderful, encouraging words from our Savior. You may be sitting there going, I'm just fumbling my way through this walk that's the Christian faith. These words are encouragement to you and I that he is the light of the world. That means if you've given your life to him, that he is now calling you to follow him. You're no longer walking in darkness, even though you're stumbling and falling, but because of who you are in him, now he's, you are secure and he is giving you the light of life. It's eternal, secure language. So if this is true, if Jesus is the light, then how does that look like, this truth, how this life is now the life-giving light? Now, if you look at the few verses after that, Jesus makes a statement and the Pharisees have a wonderful response, don't they? They say, yeah, I totally agree with you, Jesus. No, they turn around and they say, "Uh, hang on, mate, who are you? Who are you? Give us a witness. It's almost like them saying, hey, Jesus, I think sounds you've got a bit dibs on yourself here. You're a little bit proud here, proclaiming of who you are. For a bit of a laugh sometimes, I uh, look up at the quotes of a guy called Kanye West. Uh, If you don't know who he is, he's an artist who makes some really ridiculous claims, including this one. He says, I am God's vessel, but my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform. Let's sink in for a minute. He says, I am God's vessel. My greatest pain in life is that I'll never be able to see myself perform. If you're an Australian, you'd say he's got dibs on himself. He thinks he's someone. He's proclaiming something about himself, isn't he? See, in this moment, Jesus is not having a Kanye moment, okay? <laughs> he is the Son of God. And for the Pharisees, though, they're thinking, this guy's crazy. Who does he think he is? He's got dibs on himself. He's proclaiming that he is God in that statement. We know that. And not only that, they start saying, well, we know the Old Testament. We know who we are. We're the Pharisees. We know all this stuff. Where is your witness? According to the Old Testament law, you're meant to have witnesses. Where are they? They will proclaim this if this is true. And in verses 14 to 18, Jesus interacts with them and he says, well, my testimony is true because of who I am. I am the Son of God. And my witness is my Father. The Father who brought life, the Father who has been talking about me, the Father who is the creator of the universe. 
If this was in modern day, there would be like a rap battle. I don't know if you know rap battles. I love watching rap battles. It's where one team who are young guys rapping, and there's one person who's rapping back, and it's like a battle. They go back and forth. And there's a moment where someone raps, and they say something, and all the crowd goes, whoa, and he drops the mic and walks away because he's won the argument. This is that drop the mic moment. My father is the one who affirms me. And in the following verses, Jesus then unpacks that even more. If you heard Nathan said, they are like, well, who are you and where you come from? Where are you going? They're trying to get their heads around and Jesus says to them very clearly, listen, I'm here for a purpose. My purpose is actually to ultimately do who? Your will? My will? The Father's will. He knew why he came to this world. He knew what his purpose was. Not only that, he knew where he came from. He knew all of this. And it's a wonderful picture of a great Savior whose desire and ultimate approval was not of the people in front of him. His approval was ultimately from the Father already. That's all he cared about, to please the Father. And this is why Jesus is perfect. As he was willing to, and he did what we can't do, 100% fully pleasing to the Father. And you see in verse 18. It's all right. Don't worry. It's okay. Yeah. If you're listening in, there was a, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it later. Um, so in verse 18, uh, Jesus continues, and the guys are trying to say, well, you, you can't bear witness about yourself. Who, who, who are you to bear witness? And Jesus continues that language, and he says, well, listen, my father is the one who's bearing witness. How is he bearing witness? You've got accounts in the Gospels where the Father shows, and particularly one of those wonderful scenes in the baptism where the Father says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. But I think in the context of all of this, the context of the festivals and the law and all these things that they're hanging on to, Jesus is saying to them, hey, my Father has actually been bearing witness about me well before here. He's been bearing witness through your law, through your commandments, through your prophets, through those psalms that you sing. They're bearing witness about me. My Father gave that to you, and they're bearing witness about who I am. Now I'm here. (laughs) If you want to use our language, it's like Jesus is saying to them, as you read those laws, as you read those commandments, as you wait for the Messiah, as you hear about the prophets, as you hear about this, the Psalms that you read about the, mess, uh, the Messiah that is to come, it's like saying, my Father has been bearing witness. He's been showing me off to you. All the time, always has been. As you've looked into your Bibles, as you've looked into your laws and the prophets, even your festivals are ultimately saying, here, I am the one the festival is about. I am the light of the world. Because the Father has been bearing witness. And this is why in the Gospel of John, there's this idea of the Word became flesh. The light that was in their beginning. The light that they talk about throughout the Psalms. The light they talk about by the prophets. The light that was meant to be Israel. The, the real true light is now in flesh. And the response of all these leaders... They're like, yeah, we believe you. No, their hearts, in a sense, are hardened. Their first response is, well, where's your father? Where's your dad? On one hand, they're thinking in front of them, where's your dad? 
In this moment, if I was Jesus, where I'd be rubbing my head and going, I'm done. I'm out. Jesus is not hard on them. In that sense, he turns around. And he's almost responding to them and saying, you guys are so hard. And you see that, right? You see in that passage, they're hard and their hearts and responses. Where is your father? They've been hiding through their behind their rituals and self-sufficiency and hiding and thinking to themselves, life ultimately revolves around. It's about them and it's this passage about them and God and their relationship, which to some extent is too, but he's saying, no, guys, you've missed it. I am the light. It means when we look at Jesus, when we hear these statements, it's a wonderful, beautiful reminder to us that he is the light. This is the one who describes himself as the light because he's true in what he says. That means for you and I even today, we cannot let even our own Christian faith, if you believe in this, this is true, to let the Christian faith just become about you and about me. It's not about you and me. It's about him. I think one of the greatest dangers, particularly in Western context of Christianity, is this term called consumer Christianity. I don't know if you're aware of it. We see it in different forms. I myself have fallen into it. It comes in ways like this. Oh, look, I'm really into the Brethren Church. Oh, look, you know, no, no. It's my style of music, don't like drums, just want a fiddle. Oh, no, 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 the preaching style, not my style. You know, I like it, just it's all about application. Or, no, no, I really like expository, it's all about expository. I spend years on one verse. It might be about, oh, no, 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 they need to have these certain kind of ministries. Then that works for me. Or there might be theological issues, and you should have real strong um, idea of what you believe. They're important, but there are certain issues that you're hanging on to that are not what we call gospel issues. Whether we admit it or not, we can actually make even this Christian faith about us, not about him who is the light of the world. Because Jesus is the one who is the light of the world. There's always been about him. That means if you are new to the Christian faith or you're seeking the Christian faith or trying to discover, I want to let you know the Christian faith is not about Canterbury Gardens Community Church. It never has been, never will be. The Christian faith, our desire is for you to know that you are designed and you are shaped to know this true light, to be in relationship with him. It's not until you are in that wonderful relationship that you really realize there's a bigger purpose than you in life. And all be found in him. See, Jesus is the life-giving light who the Father approves. I approve of him. He is my son. And you see in verses 21 to 26, there's this interaction continuing with them. And he's trying to tell them, hey, my home is not of this world. I have been designed by my Father. My, my home is in my, with my Father. He's always existed. Jesus has always been there. And then he appeals to them in verse 24. He says to them, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What he's saying in this moment is that if you reject this truth, that I am the light of the world, there are consequences to this rejection. What are the consequences to the rejection? Well, what happens is the result of not believing that who he is, who he says who he is, that means you reject that he is the light. And not only that, then you end up rejecting the Father who affirms him, who testifies about him. 
And the result is death, not just physical. But he's talking about a much greater death that your sins are not forgiven. And Jesus outlines for them in verses 28 to 29 his purpose. When you will be lifted up, the Son of Man, then you will know who I am. Then you will be, know who the Father has sent me. From the day dot Jesus arrives into this world, he knew what his purpose was. That was to give his life for you and for I and for them, those Pharisees. And he's saying, when you lift me up, then you will know I am he. I'm the one that you will finally realize this is the light of the world. This is the one that all of the life of earth has been waiting for, for this moment. And he's saying, in that moment I'm doing what you, the Pharisees, you and I can't do. Because Jesus, even to the point of death, did the Father's will. And he is why. He's the perfect sacrifice and he's the one the Father's pleased in. And this is why the Father testifies about him. This is why Jesus is the light of the world. And that means in following him, we are now rescued from darkness and then we can rest in knowing that we have life that's secure. Friends, that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, from Monday to Saturday, even Sunday, all of your life to your final breath, If you believe that you've been saved out of darkness into light, into life with him, you're secure in him, that means your life and my life is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It means that as you and I head into our job site this week, as you make that quote, as you do your work, as you treat your employee, as you uh, listen to those contractors and work through those deals, you're ultimately there to be the one you're living for. You're living for a greater boss. His name is Jesus. Why do you do that? Because he's, been, he's given you his life. He's given you his light in you. This means that when you head into school and you're doing your subjects, and maybe you're doing it just for qualification or to pass year 12 or pass high school, that means it reshapes everything if this is true. That your life is no longer about you. It's about him. That means as you do your studies, all these things becomes about all about Jesus. That means the reason why I do the studies, why I do all these things is ultimately for glorifying him for his purpose. Because he has now given you light. He has saved you from darkness into light. This means for those of us who are parents, we're not looking at our kids. Life is not about your kids. It's about Jesus Christ. That means we see our kids as gifts from God, given to us, to be stewards. And our aim is not to just raise up good kids our aim is to raise up ones who will look and realize there is one true light in Jesus because he's now given you light he saved you out of darkness and you have life in him that means as you and I open our Bibles as we open slide if we listen to them we are looking to hear what Jesus is saying but we can't make these passages just about you and me it's revealing him Then we say, Lord, what does it reveal about you? What does that reveal about me? And how do I live for you? Because you are the light. And for those of you who are seeking Jesus, or maybe even skeptical, I want to invite you into a dialogue. I want you to know that whether you realize this or not, I'm lovingly telling you, you are living in darkness. And Jesus is saying that he is the light. You can look at everything else you want to hopefully find light in. You will not. You are shaped to find light in him. He went to the cross. He went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf because he obeyed, unlike you and me, who are tempted and often disobey. 
So would you turn to him, maybe even this morning, maybe ask the friend who bought you this morning what this is about and find who this Jesus, because in him you have life. In him, he is the light. In the Gospel of John, in the very first verses, you have this wonderful truth that John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he continues to say how the Word, this Jesus, became flesh and made his home, his dwelling, his tabernacle amongst us. See, the light that was spoken of in Genesis, the light that was alluded throughout the whole Bible story, had now become flesh. And it's displaying in that. And that's what all these I am statements are about. I am the one. I am he. I am God. To describe his presence, his mission, and his promises. And this word now comes into flesh and invades our world. And history is never the same again. So this light that was out there has now become tangible to save you and me from darkness to light and to make us secure because he is the light. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and as we sing this last song, can I invite you to sing it as a song of worship of who Jesus is as the light of the world who has now saved us out of darkness who has given us life and in light of that called us to live in light for him. Thanks, guys.